Why, hello there again, church family. It is Pastor Jake once again coming to you from my office here at the Parsonage. It has been a very weird season this year as the uh, weather just seems to not want to give up. Uh, If uh, you're listening to this on uh, Mother's Day, uh, you probably have snow on the ground. Uh, It's been snowing the last couple of days, and uh, what is with that? It just won't give up. Well, hopefully this is one of the last messages uh, from my office that I'll have to be giving. Uh, Looks like the uh, virus restrictions and stay-at-home orders might be about to to give up, but we will be getting a hold of you in person to be able to tell you any plans as we're moving forward as those things uh, change. But other than that, uh, let's hop into this week's message, which is actually focused on mothers. So happy Mother's Day out there to all of you uh, mothers, and uh, let's uh, open this in prayer. Father, I do thank you for this opportunity just to be able to speak your word. God, I do ask that you continue to uh, watch over each and every single one of us. I know it has been uh, quite an interesting year to remember, that's for sure. God, I ask that you continue to give us patience and uh, continue to build us up and strengthen us in our character as we continue to strive to be obedient servants of your word as we learn and grow from it. And God, I ask that you continue to bless those that hear this word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week we looked at the Egyptians and the Israelites who lived among them. We looked deeply at the Israelites who had allowed their circumstances to control their outlook on their life, their worship practices, and ultimately their faith in God. We looked at the extraordinary miracles God used to slowly realign their faith in Him and to teach one of the most prosperous nations of all time that faith in anything apart from God, whether it be in the sun, the rivers, the cows, the people, or finances, it was misplaced, and it would eventually fail. We saw that God wants to be first place in each and every one of our hearts. When I think of God becoming first place in our hearts, I often think of the people who tend to first put those stories into our lives, where our faith begins. For many in our nation, even for many in our church, that began at home, and it began with our mothers. I hear story after story, time and time again, how it was the mom's unceasing prayers and unceasing patience that brought many to faith in Christ. My children benefit from having a mother who continually points them to the scriptures, who continually shows them patient endurance as she waits for the fruits of her labors to appear. Now it has been said of motherhood that motherhood is not a hobby. It is a calling. It is not something that you do if you can squeeze the time in. It's what God gave you time for. Let me repeat that. Motherhood is not a hobby. It is a calling. It is not something you do if you can squeeze the time in. It is what God gave you time for. We each are looking for the purpose or reason of why God placed us on this earth. We each wonder about our reason for being, our purpose or our calling on our lives. If you're a person who believes that you were ultimately an accident or an evolutionary surprise that happened from a very long line of impossibly conceived chance events, then defining your life's purpose can be rather hard and quite elusive. However, if you know that God has created you, that your relationship with him was broken because of your sin, and that he has sent his son to rebuild that bond, then you know that he who created you created you with purpose. He had a reason for bringing you into the world, and he wants you to know why he did. 
As believers, we have each been given what we call a general purpose, that is to glorify God by our lives and tell others about his wondrous works. If you happen to be a mother, this goes much deeper, and it becomes much more intimate, as God has blessed you with children and trusted them to your care. There are several constant themes throughout the Bible. Quite often you will find that God's word commands us to listen and to honor our father and mothers. Contained within its pages, you will find specific instructions both to parents and to children. Today I want to take a special look at what the Bible has to say about our mothers and their influence on our lives. So first and foremost, a mother is to be a teacher of God's word to her children. Proverbs 1.8 says, Hear, my son, your father's instructions, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Here we see one of many themes that will recur again and again. We are to listen to and adhere to our mother's teachings. Now your mother has been divinely placed into your life to give you specific instruction. And this is a two-way relationship. For the child, this instruction comes across as reminding you to be a learner, to be studious, to listen and apply the things that your mother teaches you. The word used in the proverb is different between the mother and the father. The father instructs, the mother teaches. But is there really a difference between the two? After all, I've always thought that the two are synonymous, didn't you? When you think of your father's style of teaching versus your mother's, what comes to mind? How did they come across? The father's instruction-based teaching tends to be more of a step-by-step direction so that you can complete a task. It's typically given more as a directive, whereas the person... Uh, The father, you could say, is active, and the other person, the child, is passive, so that the information flows one way. Mothers, on the other hand, typically, but not always, but typically, provide guidance and feedback. This happens as the child experiences life, and it's a more cooperative approach to learning. Yes, the mother is still the authority, and the child is still the learner, but both are more active during the activity. Through the proverbial teachings of Solomon, Scripture is trying to show us that while Dad normally comes across very factual and a matter of fact, and the way that he guides his children, mothers, on the other hand, have a very intimate role. Their teaching is more of a back and forth. So if you are a mother, you were designed to be typically more social and more empathetic than Dad. Let's face it, ladies are typically more social than men, and they typically pick up on understated feelings or unstated feelings far better than the men do as well. This is on purpose, as you as a mother are able to nurture the child that God has entrusted to your care. You are able to pursue conversations and bring about emotional maturity in a way that you were designed to do because of who God made you to be. It is probably this emotional connection that the mother tends to excel at, this ability to reach growing children at a level of connection that men struggle to attain, that the New Testament writer Paul was thinking about when he was writing his instructions to his pupil, Timothy. In the book of the Bible, we call 2 Timothy, Paul is writing instructions to his pupil as he takes a leadership role in his community. It is in this letter that we find the verse that says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It's from 2 Timothy 2.15. There's other great verses of instruction, like, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That comes from 2 Timothy 3, 16-17. But do you know how Paul decides to start this entire letter out? Check it out with me. 
Turn on over to 2 Timothy, chapter 1. We'll be reading verses 1 through 5. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. Paul starts out the letter to a man called by God to lead God's people by remembering his upbringing. It seems that Timothy had a godly grandmother and a godly mother who raised him, and they taught him to follow God. Paul reminds us that it is the faith and obedience of these two women in the bringing up of their children that put Timothy in the position that he was now at, able and ready to lead God's people. We do know that from Acts 16.1 that Timothy's mother is of Jewish descent, and from the text it seems that his father may not have been a believer. So check out Acts chapter 16 with me. Acts chapter 16 verse 1 says, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. Now we don't know much about his father, but there is a strong probability that he didn't practice Judaism or teach his son about godliness. It's a sad story that happens more often than most of us would like to admit. But you probably know a mother who is trying to raise her children to follow God and has a husband who does not. You might be that mother. It's not the way God intended life to be, but you can take heart that your efforts don't go unnoticed by our Father in heaven, and they aren't wasted years. As even here in 1 Timothy, we have an example of a man raised in such a situation, who still becomes a godly man and who still became a leader to others. So how did Timothy's mother, Eunice, pass on the godly heritage to her son? If you turn back to 2 Timothy chapter 3, you will find what she did. 2 Timothy 3, verse 15, reads like this, And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Turns out that Timothy's mother taught her son the scriptures. She took the time to not only know them for herself, but also to pass them on to her son. A large part of the true calling of a mother is not just to simply be a teacher of life and its lessons, but more pointedly, God has given you the gift of motherhood to pass on who your Father in heaven is, to teach without ceasing in his word, and demonstrate the way unto salvation in Jesus Christ. Simply put, God gave you children so you could introduce them to him. As a mother teaches, she passes on a part of who she is to her children, for better or for worse. As it has been said, you cannot give what you do not have. I want to look at two examples of mothers found in the Bible and what they passed on to their children. First, we're going to look at the negative, then the positive. Now, these single events don't necessarily define these ladies in their overall character, but these events that we're going to look at are traits that appear later on in their children. So consider them. Consider what the mother says, her reactions, her decisions, as each was passed on to their child. The first mother was faced with a situation that seemed completely out of her control. She had been made promises, but had waited a long time for those promises to naturally come in their own time. As time progressed, she became more 
fond of one of her children than the other, because of the time that she spent with the child. She played favorites in the way that she treated her children. Her husband didn't really help matters as he played favorites with the other. When the opportunity finally presented itself, the mother crafted the events to work in her favor, to see the outcome that she wanted to see. By purposely deceiving her husband when he was vulnerable and ultimately lying to him, she was able to outright steal what was rightfully one child's and give it to the other, all in an effort to make good on God's word to her. Her efforts worked. She had the outcome she desired, but in doing so, she effectively destroyed her family. She had to send her favorite child away for fear of revenge from the sibling, and she never saw him again. As you may have guessed, this is Rebecca's story, as we have recently looked at her family's storyline. Rebecca was told before the birth of her children that the older would serve the younger. That's from Genesis chapter 25, verse 23. As her boys grew, one spent most of his time outside hunting, and he became the favorite son of the father. The other spent most of his time inside with mom, became her favorite. Genesis chapter 25, verse 28 reads this, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Eventually, as time passed and her husband was starting to look like he would pass in the glory any day, Rebekah sent events into motion. First, she overheard that her husband was about to give the family blessing to her firstborn, Esau, which this comes in chapter 27, verse 5. While Esau was out hunting, she concocted a plan and told the younger son to go along with it, chapter 27, verse 8. Jacob, thinking things through, brings up some valid points. One, that he's smooth-skinned and his brother is hairy. And number two, his father may figure out the deception. So Rebecca tells her son to get two young goats, chapter 27, verse 9, that she can kill and skin to put their pelts on his arms and his neck to cover up the smooth parts. She also says she will take the curse in chapter 27, verse 13, and that her son should only obey what she has said and not worry about getting caught. Rebecca used deceit and trickery to get her way. She lied to her husband, she stole from one of her other sons, and she taught the other by her actions that deceit and trickery were perfectly acceptable ways to get what one wants. The legacy that she passed on continued for generations. Her grandson Joseph was able to break this vicious cycle, but it seems that out of his 12 siblings, he was the only one that was able to break this bondage of using lies to produce results. Rebecca's is a sad story that every mother can learn from. Were all of her actions full of sin as this defining moment was? Absolutely not. Rebecca had great moments. She had faith, and she loved her children, but she passed on the worst parts of herself, even though... She may not have thought that she was teaching her children. They were paying attention and learning, just as students do. Our second example story is about another mother who fought temptation and passed on trust when circumstances were out of her control. Like the mother before, this woman was married to a God-fearing man. Like the mother before, this woman was a bit older. So as it happens, this time the father was given the special revelation, and not the mother. The revelation was so out far and left field that the father had a hard time believing it. The mother, however, rejoiced at the news. She had patience and trust, and it paid off. The son was raised as a godly man who followed God's purpose on his life, unlike any other before or after him. Now this story is found in Luke chapter 1, and it is the story of a priest by the name of Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth. 
In Jewish culture, it was often assumed that if you didn't have children, it was most likely a result of some unconfessed sin in your life. This might remind you of Job and his friends, remember? This would have been especially embarrassing culturally because Zechariah was a priest after all, a man who was supposed to be keeping both himself and his household away from sin. When Zechariah is called to serve in the temple, the place where God was supposed to live, mind you, he met one of God's angels. So pick it up with me in Luke chapter 1, verse 11. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. So after the angel gets done describing what their son will eventually do for God's people, Zechariah the priest has this response. So prick it up in verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the days these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Zechariah's response is complete and utter disbelief. His wife, on the other hand, says in verse 25, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days that he looked upon me to take away my reproach among people. Elizabeth believed God at his word. She trusted his promise. It was a defining moment like this one that set her apart. And it is this trust in God's plan and purpose that she was able to pass on to her son, John, or better known as John the Baptist. These two mothers had two very different reactions. Though not identical, they both had very similar circumstances. They both had to trust God at his word. One did, the other decided to take matters into her own hands. Now there is a caveat here. Just because you believe God at his word and do everything right, it doesn't guarantee that your child will choose to do the same. But their choice is not your responsibility. It is said of mothers that they don't sleep, but rather they just lay down to worry with their eyes closed. The love that you have for your child can often come off as worry. You want the best for them, don't you? You want to give them the perfect life, one that is free from heartache, where they are blessed by God at every turn, where they are free from sickness and disease. You want them to find the godly spouse that will encourage their faith and build them up. These are good things to want for your child, and they, among others, become sources of worry on your soul. Your God-given capacity for love can turn into worry and ultimately fear as fear is the result of unchecked worrying. God has built into you, mothers, especially you, the capacity for great emotion and great strength along with it. But as the old movie quote goes, with great power comes great responsibility. The Apostle John knew that we would each walk to some degree a tightrope balance between love and fear. His short epistle we call the book of 1 John mentions the word love 52 times, and the theme of the book centers around confidence, specifically our confidence in our Christ, our Savior. At the beginning of the book, he talks about knowing who we are individually as believers, becoming honest with who we are and what God has done for us. He uses the term little children throughout the book as it is a building up of the faith of many. 
many who are young in their faith, many who are weak in their faith, and many who need someone to lovingly come aside and encourage them along. By chapters 3 and 4, he starts describing what life looks like when it is defined by love. I want to close our time together today by looking at chapter 4 as the opposite of fear, which in all reality is just unchecked worry, is love. Chapter 4, verse 18 echoes some very familiar verses. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. 1 John 4.18 John is in the middle of telling us how God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. In fact, verse 10 states, And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. God knew that we had fear and worry in our lives. He knew that we couldn't get rid of them without his help. And this life you will still have worries that you will struggle with. You will struggle with your faith. And what is God doing in your life? Of how things are going to turn out and what tomorrow will bring. The reminder that he's trying to get across here is that you no longer have a reason to worry. And that he wants you to eventually work that out of your life entirely by replacing it with love. Today we looked at the important roles mothers play in their God-given positions. As a mother, you are called to be a teacher of God's word, which plays to your natural strengths that God has given you. While fathers are to be instructing to their children, your role as a mother is naturally much more nurturing in its nature. You naturally are more conversational, which means you can pull things out that the father will miss. You are naturally more emotionally aware as well. The guidance and direction you give to your children will come from both the moments you want to teach them and from the moments you hope they won't be paying attention. Of course, as a parent I can relate, when I want my boys to learn, they space out. They don't pay attention. Most of the time they sit there just hitting each other. But when I don't want them to pay attention, their ears are open, hanging on every word. It makes it all the more important for me to watch what I say and when I think my actions through, because my unchecked reactions are the ones that they will replicate perfectly every time. Think about Rebecca and Elizabeth taught their children by their reactions. What are you teaching your children in the little moments? Now I know this message is directed at mothers as it's being Mother's Day. But each of us can take a look at what we are doing. People all around us right now are watching us all of the time, especially in this season of uncertainty. What lesson are you teaching those that are watching you? We talked about the concern that a mother has for her children, the abundance of love that can drive her to ultimately worry about them. But what other things might you be worrying about right now? Remember, unchecked worry will become fear. The Bible tells us that fear is not what God has given us, but love. Trust God and His plan. Simple to say, hard to follow, I know. But determine to hand something over to God today, even if it's something small. Find something that you have been worrying about and let God handle it. Trust Him and watch your ability to love increase because of your trust in Him. Thank you to every mother who listens to this. Everyone's story begins at some point in the middle of their mother's. We each have so much to thank them for. So if you can, say thank you to your mother today. If you have children, no matter what age, 
Choose the parent that you are going to be today and trust God as he blesses your efforts and works through you. May God bless the rest of your day. Thank you so much for listening to this. I can't wait till we meet again in person. Until then, God bless. <laughs>